0: Summer is here in America, but things are about to get deathly cold. This world is a strange one. Summer can sometimes be a drag. Oftentimes it means hot, unbearable temperatures and sticky t-shirts, while other times it means going off on trips and encountering untold dangers. Watch out, there are people and things who love summer break for all the wrong reasons. So enjoy these allegedly true summer break horror stories. But first, do you have a lake story or a lifeguard story? Send it over to us at darknessprevails.org or consider becoming a patron for goodies and bonus episodes at patreon.com/darknessprevails. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I'm going to stay inside this summer. I'd rather not die. Number one, Summer Isn't Fun, submitted by Maddie. I'm finally out of this situation, but I figured since I have so many bad memories during summer break, that it might be relieving to share them with you. I was born in a small town to loving parents that were in their teens. My mom was 17 and my biological father was 19 or so. Soon, they had two more children with each other over the course of six years. One, another girl named Riley, and the other, a boy named Camden. My biological dad, named Doug, enlisted in the army shortly after Cam was born. After being trained for a while, we were all shipped off to Wichita when I was around five years old. At that base, though, he met some other guy, and they got into drugs with each other. Eventually, they would both get caught, and Doug got a dishonorary discharge. We were living on the base, and I don't think he realized that we would be kicked out because of it. So due to his bad choices, our family had to move again. We had to move out of the houses on the base, which made us all upset, especially me, as the few friends I did have were all stationed there. We soon moved to a new town called Perry. It was a small place, and that was when everything began to go downhill even more. You see, my dad brought his drugs into his private life and tried dragging my mom into it, having her smoke weed containing mushrooms. She was a smoker herself, but she did not like the mushroom part. Overall, my mom completely stayed away from it. My dad emotionally abused my mom, and it still affects her to this day, but she's working through it. In 2006, they were divorced, Mom left fast. She took what she could carry in just a little bag and went to her mother's house. She lived there until she met my stepdad. Let's just call him my actual dad for the remainder of this story. Anyway, on to the summer break of hell. Around 2012, Doug found an old country house and moved into it with his then girlfriend. He had had many and all I saw from that was him treating them like crap over the years this particular girlfriend would eventually become his wife. Their relationship was and is still extremely toxic, especially on his part. As I know that he's beaten her, I've seen the bruises and I've gotten all the excuses there is. She even has a fake tooth to cover the missing one she lost from Doug. And of course, she even to this day lies about how it happened, some stupid story about how it was her fault, how it was an accident. After seeing so many bruises on her body over the years, I'm not going to believe that. When I was around seven and he lived across from his parents, one day he held my left arm while he was on drugs or intoxicated or something. I was sitting next to him, being half held by him and sitting down. It was mostly silent. My siblings were asleep at the time. He then turned to me, took the lit cigarette from his mouth, exhaled and pressed the thing deeply into my bicep The pain was searing. I screamed and cried right away, and he told me to quit being a baby. Once the cigarette was put out, the pain faded pretty quickly, but I was still sniffling because honestly, what was that even for? I think most of the trauma there was from the confusion as to why my biological father would do that to me. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I just couldn't deal with the duality of my biological father at the time. I think I suppressed that memory and I only brought it up again when I was around 14, talking with my mom on our porch. In fact, at the time when I told her this, she was smoking a cigar. At one point, she leaned in closer to me to try to love on me and make me feel better. But the fact that she was smoking and coming closer to my arm, it made me jump back. She stared at me feeling guilty, but it wasn't her fault. After that, I just didn't tell anyone else. Doug often told me not to tell mom anything that happens at his place because I wouldn't get to see him, the father of the year, anymore, but I think I should have told sooner. Anyway, when I was 13 on another summer break on the 4th of July, and at that same old farmhouse, our mom just dropped us off and things were actually going well. We were having a bit of fun until Doug decided it'd be funny to throw a mortar shell firework at us He was tossing them beforehand, I guess to show off and then he tossed one in our direction. We panicked and started running in a desperate attempt to get out of the danger zone and then it went off in a big explosion. I remember not being able to hear in my left ear for a moment and in the other ear, there was a deep ringing that hurt. After about five minutes of that, my hearing slowly came back and all I could hear was the crying of my siblings all around me. There was also a sharp stinging on my back where one of the debris had landed and it burned a hole through my shirt right into my skin. I heard his wife yelling at him, what the heck Douglas? And ran to check on us. By then my sister was just as convinced as me that we had burns on our back and my little brother was just crying really hard. And we were all asking him, why daddy? Daddy, why did you do that to us? And Doug would just reply, I'm just messing around, get over it. He would always say we needed to lighten up, despite him purposefully endangering our lives. We all still felt burning on our backs, so we showered and then went back out. Doug tried to make it up to us, but I just wasn't having it and went to bed. To this day, four years later, my sister and I can't be around too big of fireworks without crying and panicking, because of our biological jerk as you can see we often went to spend more time with doug during the summer since we were out of school so of course the next event took place in the summer before my freshman year of high school i was around 14 years old we were at doug's parents house and just watching tv specifically the news it said something about a strangling incident and then somehow doug and i got on the topic I had an issue of dissociating any time I was with him due to his previous schemes and antics. So for the longest time, this memory, I didn't remember much about it, but now I can remember it a bit more clearly. Doug began to explain to me on the couch how he was choked one time. And as a curious kid, I said, really, it didn't hurt too much, did it? I was just trying to start a conversation, but he replied with, I'll just show you and then he literally began to choke me. I was so scared, and it's hard to type out how I felt at the moment. He didn't stop soon enough. I almost saw complete black, and I was completely lightheaded by the time he let go. I ran out of the room away from him and into the living room where his parents were. I was still in shock, and they asked me about the red marks around my throat. I just laughed, because I wasn't sure if that really happened. I guess I couldn't believe it myself. Needless to say, due to my biological father, I have some complex PTSD issues, and my siblings and I, we took it out on ourselves. We always wondered why we didn't have a good dad, why dad didn't love us like a normal dad should, like the dad you see on TV. Oftentimes, we'd beat ourselves up about it because we thought it was our faults. It took years for us to get through that false guilt, and I still think it's there from time to time. I've since disowned him as my dad and in his place is my stepdad. He's like what I've always wished Doug could be, but better. And my siblings are starting to come to terms with him being that too, with him being dad. I'm going to therapy for what he's done. And honestly, I hope he gets what he deserves for all the stupid stuff he's done, for all the ways he selfishly hurt his family and I really hope his poor wife finds someone better, that we can all move on with our lives. But until the day comes, I'm going to protect my siblings from him no matter what, even if I have to risk my life. Number two, Summer Camp Creeper, submitted by Haley Sawyer. When I was 12, I attended summer camp in Rehoboth. I would go there for about two weeks in July and most of the time I was having a lot of fun with a good chunk of activities, especially archery. Despite this, there was one activity that I did not do very often and that activity was none other than cooking. It wasn't because I was a bad cook or afraid of burning myself or anything like that. It was actually due to a more unnerving reason It all began during my first day of camp. I hadn't been there in a long time, so I was eager to try some of the activities that were open that day. One of these activities was cooking. At this activity, there were two counselors. One was a younger female and the other was an older man. I decided to go to the woman counselor since a couple of other kids told me to go to her. We all sat around a corner as we learned to make s'mores Obviously, it was a rather easy thing to make, so most of us, save for a couple of other kids who accidentally dropped their marshmallows on the ground, didn't have a lot of trouble making it. After that, I decided to come back a couple more times during the week. I enjoyed the activity the first time, so I thought it'd be a good idea. However, when I came back to the activity the second time in the week, the woman counselor started giving me a lot more attention than usual and she even began to rub my shoulders. At this point, my blood ran cold, and I stood there without moving an inch, unsure of what to do. I felt embarrassed. She did this for a few seconds here and there until the older counselor called her on it. She thankfully backed off, and I could breathe a sigh of relief. After that experience, I tried my hardest to avoid going back to the cooking area. However, I was hungry one day and a very delicious smell wafted through the air and it really made my mouth water. So naturally, I followed the scent and it led me toward the cooking area. When I got close, I noticed that the woman counselor was standing at the area's entrance, which really freaked me out. Unfortunately, she saw me. She greeted me and tried to rub my shoulders again, almost right away. I backed away and replied with, Can we talk about the last time I was here? She nodded almost excitedly and led me towards one of the counters in the cooking area. When we walked inside, I noticed that the other counselor wasn't there. I asked her about the counselor's whereabouts and she said that he had to fill in for another counselor at the tennis courts. Never mind. I need to get going, I said. But before I could go, she offered me one of the pizza bagels. It was what I'd been smelling and they looked delicious. I figured it'd be easy enough to grab one and be on my way. But as I reached out to grab one of the pizza bagels, she pulled the pan away. She said I could have one, but only if we stayed to chat, like I had requested. So hesitantly, I agreed. I was insanely hungry, and these pizza bagels smelled so good. In no time, I downed one of the bagels. After almost swallowing it whole, I began. So, about last time. But before I could say anything else past that, She cut me off and gave me another pizza bagel. I refused and tried to talk to her again. Why were you rubbing my shoulders? I went ahead and confronted her about it. She said nothing, seemingly ignoring the question. So I asked again. I really want to know. I don't know if I feel right about that. Finally, after about two minutes of ignoring me and preparing another pizza bagel, she turned to me and told me, I like you a lot and it was around that time that my head began to spin. I got lightheaded and dizzy. I could barely stand up at that point. I was freaking out about the whole situation, being alone with a very freaky counselor, suddenly feeling nauseous and overwhelmed by something. All in one quick but clumsy motion, I sprinted out of the door. I heard her run after me some way, but I just kept running. I ran until I made it back to my bunk And I stayed there the whole day, keeping an eye out in the window for that creepy counselor. I didn't go back to the cooking area for the rest of my time at camp. And to this day, I feel stupid and guilty for not saying something about that counselor. I think she had poisoned me, that she had put something in that bagel. I'm afraid because I didn't say anything that she may have gotten her hands on more children that she liked. I don't know what would have happened if she would have used a bigger dose of whatever that was in the bagel. Honestly, I'm lucky I even made it out of there. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters and you can live the story yourself on iOS and Android. Number three, Sleepover Horror, submitted by Brandon. I live in Arkansas in a town called Hot Springs. Being a kid there, there isn't much fun to do. But when I was about 12, me and my friend Nick would pass our time during summer break doing things like riding dirt bikes and fishing. I would always be over at Nick's house because his place sat next to a mountain and had large fields to ride our dirt bikes on. One day while riding in the field, we got tired and went inside for the day. That evening, we spent on the computer. We went online and went to chat rooms for laughs. This was when AOL chat rooms were a big thing, so that should give you a time frame. He lived with his mother, who was a hardworking single mom as a nurse, Once we got tired of the computer, his mom cooked for us and we made our beds out in the living room in front of the TV and ate. We eventually found a scary movie to watch and being the kids we were, we didn't let each other know that we could get scared. We both eventually fell asleep. Well, around three in the morning, we both woke up to a very loud and sudden noise. He lived in a mobile home And if you ever lived in one of those, then you know that any sound can really be amplified inside or out. We both sat up in a heartbeat and looked at each other. We scanned the dark rooms around us and soon we both spotted her. It was his mother. She was standing in the kitchen at the corner and we could hardly see her because it was so dark. She was just standing there in the corner looking at us and her eyes seemed to shine and her skin seemed so pale We were petrified. Suddenly she screamed and then followed that up by maniacal laughter. Both of us scared to death, ran into his room and barricaded the door. The next thing we hear is deep scratching just on the other side, along with the occasional laugh. We pressed our bodies against the door, desperate not to let his mom through. I don't know what was wrong with her. She was acting psychotic. Maybe she was drunk but she was usually a sober person. After about an hour, everything calmed down. Her noises faded, and we eventually fell asleep after that. The next day, we woke up to the door being closed to the house. His mom then called for us, but we were still too scared of her. Eventually, she came to the door to the room, trying to open it, and was asking what was wrong in her soft motherly voice. What she said next made our skin turn to stone, Nick, I'm tired, open the door. I got called into work at midnight and I just got home. I just want to check on you two. Whatever that was that tried to look like his mom that night, I don't know what it wanted. I don't know what it was. But ever since this experience, I haven't slept over at Nick's house ever again. Number four, we were followed, submitted by I'm so glad that I wasn't alone when this happened, though I wouldn't have left my mother's house if I were. In 2014 in early December, my friend and I were at my mother's. It was just before my 18th birthday and my friend was 16. We had managed to get some booze to drink that night to let off some steam. My maid and I, let's call her Jay, are rather adventurous, Now, we live in Australia, and this was during our summer break, and to clear up any confusion, summer break for Australians starts in December, usually. My mother lives in a family-friendly area, not far from the kindy and the school out of town. Now, it wasn't too late when Jay and I decided to go for a walk before we had anything to drink, which was around 7 p.m. The sun was on its way down, but it wasn't exactly sunset yet, We had wandered around the neighborhood before deciding to head to the playground to have a go on the swing set. Even though phones were pretty much in everyone's pockets, we decided against bringing ours. Neither of us had clothes on that had pockets, so what was the point? It was supposed to be a friendly neighborhood, so what's the worst that could happen? Two men in an old Ford, that's what could happen. Jay and I were nearly at the playground when we both heard a vehicle behind us We moved over to the side of the road to let it through. The white, old battered car slowly drove by, and two men were sitting inside it. They stared us down as they passed slowly. I mean, they drove so slow, and both their eyes were set stone cold on us. I felt more annoyed than anything, and I finally looked over and said in a very attitude-filled voice, "Uh, hello, can I help you? They seemed surprised and sped up only slightly, before they turned down the first road. Jay and I looked at each other, and she said, what the heck was that? That was the perfect time to look at the men and see their faces, but all I could see were their sunglasses and caps. I didn't think to look at the logos on the hats, but looking back, I really wish I had. It's embarrassing for me, a horror fan, to have not picked up on the immediate red flags presented. Jay was more keen, though. She soon suggested that we needed to go home, But stupidly, I dismissed the idea. We had just arrived at the playground and the men were gone now, right? Well, you guessed it, I was wrong. Just before crossing the road, their truck poked its head out from the road it had just turned down and stopped. I could now feel the occupant's eyes burning into me and Jay's souls. I felt a pit in my stomach and I knew I should have listened to Jay. We both looked at each other. We were unnerved and scared their truck then proceeded over driving even slower than before without even looking at each other jay and i turned tail and legged it i could feel my heart jump into my throat when i heard the engine pick up they were actually pursuing us i made sure jay was in front of me that she was always in my sights i also hoped she remembered the way to mom's as we were in back streets basically any road would lead us to mom's but i knew these roads It was Jay's first time visiting my mother's though, but I trusted her, she was smart. She dived behind a bush after we turned a corner and I followed hot on her heels. Barely a second later, the car came around the corner. It went up the road only a few meters until realizing Jay and I were either hiding or finally back home. Adrenaline was pumping hard through both of our veins and we took this chance to backtrack through people's front yards until we were around the corner. This time I led the way. We sprinted as fast as we could and I ignored the fact that my bare feet were hurting and Jay was struggling in her thongs or flip-flops for Americans. I still can't believe this next bit. My lighter fell from my bra and landed loud on the ground. As it was my only lighter at the time, my dumb self stopped to pick it up. What are you doing? Jay asked. She was exasperated. She knew I was stopping for my lighter. I shook my head, picked it up, and resumed running. We could hear the truck's engine, but at this point we were so frantic, we weren't sure if it was behind us or on the street in front of us. I'm not a believer in the Lord, but I'd never prayed so hard in my life. I prayed that it wasn't in front of us. Just ahead was my mother's street. We weren't but 10 houses from safety. Mom's tough but douchebag boyfriend was over there too, so we knew if they did pull up in our yard we would be safe. Mom's boyfriend is a jerk, and that's putting it lightly, but he's tall and built with a yell that would turn a tiger timid. Jay and I risked it. We ran to the road the car could possibly be on. We were blinded by the fact that we were so close to safety. We were lucky too. They weren't on mom's road. However, that meant they were behind us. Jay suddenly grabbed me by the arm. Then we jumped and hid in one of the neighbor's front yards. I'd never thank them for planting people-sized hiding bushes until that point. The car reached the T-junction, where Jay and I had just been, and we watched with our breath caught in our throats. As it sat there at the T-junction, we could visibly see the men inside. They were looking around, scanning the perimeter, rather furiously, I might add. They really wanted us. It was this sort of persistence that convinced Jay and I that they weren't two bored men playing pranks, that they possibly were dangerous predators of some sort. After a few minutes, they went up the road in the direction we were hoping to go. Jay and I so close to home, but we couldn't make it. Instead, we snuck along the front yards towards my mom's house. Their car remained three houses ahead, driving slowly as they searched everywhere. Finally, we reached mom's yard and Jay and I exploded through the front door. At the same time, we were spilling our guts out with what had happened but my mom's boyfriend dismissed it. He thought we were lying or we were just pranking him. See what I mean, he's such a jerk about things. Neither Jay or I managed to get the license plate number, and to this day, I'm still kicking myself for it. We did report it to the police the next day, but never heard anything about it, though we really didn't have much to offer. All we could give was that it was two men concealing their faces, driving an old boxed Ford. If there are any parents listening to this, be sure to teach your kids to look at number plates, look for logos, markings, anything memorable. Jay and I barely escaped and the police weren't able to help. And those two men, they're still out there. They're probably still looking for their next set of victims. And number five, get out of my head. Submitted by Thalia F. This happened just a week ago, and it's probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me. We had just gotten out for summer break, so my twin sister Quinn and I slept over at my cousin Ariel's house. Her house is two stories and pretty big, and that's not even counting her attic. Her parents have some weird fetish over people not going into that attic. They were nervous about it, and that always weirded me out. They told us that it was just the planks up there, that the wood floors aren't stable and won't hold up someone if they stand on it. But of course, we were being typical high schoolers, so we were more curious than obedient. So late one night, we pretended to sleep in Ariel's bedroom, but secretly we planned to sleep in that attic. Once our parents were in bed, we grabbed our pillows and blankets, plus plenty of junk food. The door to this attic was in Ariel's room, so there was really no sneaking up there. We just had to lower it quietly but when we did, it was very creepy. Quinn was the first to talk. It's pretty spooky, isn't it? Ariel laughed it off and called Quinn out. Don't be a pansy. Let's just get up there and start a movie. That should take your mind off the spookiness. Quinn rolled her eyes, but nonetheless, we continued. We climbed up without making too much noise. And of course, we had no problem standing on the wood floor of the attic. We set up the space and put on a movie on a laptop. The whole time we were watching movies, Ariel began acting really weird. At one point during the movie, we looked over to where Ariel was, and she was gone. Like one second she was there, and the next second she was gone. And the weirdest part about it was the fact that she didn't make a sound getting up. Quinn, assuming that she was trying to scare us, spoke up. Ariel, if you're just trying to scare us, you've got another thing coming. That was the only thing said for a few moments. Let me tell you, this attic was big and it was completely dark, so there could have been dozens of places for someone to hide. As we sat still, scanning the room and too afraid to get up, we began to hear laughing and crying mixed. It sounded like it was coming from Ariel. We paused the movie and used the nearby iPad that we'd brought up as a flashlight. Ariel was in the corner of the attic, There were scratch marks in the wall near her and she was clawing at her ears, both laughing and crying. I'd never seen anything more disturbing. She started to whisper, get out of my head, get out of my head. She said it over and over, still clawing at herself. We gathered our courage and walked over but needless to say, I was scared to death. Quinn whimpered over to me, not too fast, stay with me. Quinn was obviously too hesitant to keep going, so I continued, despite her complaints. I squatted down next to Ariel and was about to ask what was wrong. When she suddenly threw herself at me, she began to rake her nails across my face. In pain, I shoved her off and sprinted to Quinn, who was already opening the door to go downstairs. We were screaming bloody murder and ran to her parents' room, hoping that they already woke up and luckily they were awake and had already dialed 911 at the sound of us. As soon as the cops came, they lured Ariel out and held her down. Once she was calmed down, they asked her why she attacked me, and she kept responding with the same answer every time. They kept calling my name. They kept calling my name over and over. They started screaming, they're in them, they're in them. It's not in my head. It's not in my head. In record time, our parents came to pick us up and Ariel was sent to a shrink. Turns out that she had been hearing voices telling her to kill us over and over again. And sometimes they'd tell her to kill herself. We also learned something that only her parents knew, something concerning the attic. If the rumors are true, two previous owners of the house went up to the attic and slit their own throats with a knife. I'm not sure if it's a local myth, but Ariel's parents seem to be staunch believers of it. To this day, I still have a few scars on my face from when Ariel attacked me, and I don't think I'll ever forget that experience. I hope you all don't get too scared from these stories. Summer breaks don't last long enough, So get out there, enjoy the heat, the beaches, and of course the brand new stalkers that could be waiting for you around every corner. Hmm, snow cones and knives in your back sounds delicious. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your lake stories and lifeguard stories soon at darknessprevails.org. A big thanks goes out to all of you, plus my newest patrons, Michael Shooks, and Mandy LaBoy. Thank you.